Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, where the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knutson, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Act for a Post-Consumer World. Our guest this week is Craig Hample, Recycling Coordinator for the City of Burbank, a city of over 104,000 people within Los Angeles County. The title of this episode, The Tailpipe of Consumption, is from Craig's own words. I think after listening to the show, you'll appreciate why Craig, who has to deal with the damaging waste of our consumer lifestyle, is so concerned about our consumption and about the changes we all need to make to our lifestyles. Welcome, Craig, to the Root Simple Podcast. Yeah, welcome, Craig. Thanks for having me. I thought we'd begin today by me recounting a very memorable day for me, actually, when I came to meet you where you work in the city of Burbank at the recycling facility. And it's a, it's a, it's called a MRF, right? Which is short for materials recovery facility. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. It was an engineering term that I, I think probably was invented somewhere in the eighties or nineties. And it basically just describes a configuration of contraptions that, and people that uh, pull apart all of the mixed waste and uh, mixed recyclables that come into a facility. So it's just a separation. It's, a, it's basically a sorting line. I've got to say that I was really jealous of Eric's trip, and we still talk about it. It's become mythic around the house, well, Eric's I, trip to the Burbank Recycling Facility. Because, I mean, it, it's noisy, it's smelly. I think you described it as every note on the smell piano. <laughs> and um, I, yeah. I don't think – yeah, go ahead. Well, the general view is we just say we're looking up the tailpipe of consumption, and uh, sometimes I call it, you know, in other terms, I've got a lot of uh, uh, terms like the maw of hell, but um, <laughs> it gets the job done, and, you know, we are able to separate a lot of materials, and it's a grueling workplace. It, it's it's full of uh, dust and dangers and heat and noise, and uh, the workers out there are completely covered with you know, what we call personal protective equipment. And uh, it's everything from gloves and hard, you know, steel-toed shoes to aprons and arm protectors and respirators and earplugs and uh, goggles and uh, hard hats. And, you know, when the temperature is high and those those people are are working hard, um, the heat is just boiling, you know, through their clothing and um, uh, it's it's a tough job. It's a very tough job. What are some of the things that have come down the line? I, I know that was, you told me a few few anecdotes. Yeah. Oh, just about everything you can imagine. I mean, what we ask for on our list is, is a portion of what we get. So, you know, what we've traditionally gone after is uh, packaging. And, you know, the paper, the printed materials, cardboard boxes, uh, cans, bottles, plastics, things like that. And uh, so we have a list of things that we actually accept here. But then if you can imagine everybody that moves, um, you know, we get these stories a lot of times we get a call, for instance, a family is moving, you know, or clearing out a house and uh, they've got to get on a plane in, you know, a few hours or the following morning. And 
they call us up and they ask us, what do we do with the stuff in the medicine cabinet or under the sink or in the pool cabana or in the garage or, um, you know, um, garden shed? So all these chemistries that, um, or, you know, needles or, um, you know, crazy things like that, we get a lot of that kind of stuff. And sometimes I'll go out into the warehouse where they're working and it'll smell like malathion because a bottle is broken open somewhere. Or, uh, you know, we have needle boxes all along the sorting line. And there's about 20, 20 to 25 people on any given day that are standing on the sides of huge sorting belts. You know, they're conveyor belts. And beside them, they may have uh, big cans or, or containers or chutes where they drop things. As they pick them off the line, they'll drop them into these containers or chutes. And all day long, their arms are just, you know, flailing back and forth, picking things off the line. And we've had some crazy stuff here. We've had things that we can't recognize, like homemade bombs. We've had anti-aircraft shells. We've had big, we've had, yeah, we've had big ammunitions, uh, fireworks, flares, uh, butane lighters, um, propane tanks, um, paint, solvents, gasoline, uh, dead animals, you know, everything from baby diapers and adult diapers and um, just about anything you can imagine that's thrown in the trash or thrown in hazardous, you know, or collected in hazardous waste uh, collections, we get it here. Not so, in the quantities that other places do, but we do get that stuff. So people just regard the recycling bin, their blue bins here, as uh, as a secondary trash can, as far as you can tell? <laughs> yes and no. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that it comes in through the recycling uh, carts. And what our facility does is it it's designed to separate everything that's initially separated in front of a house. So we have three colored carts out in front of the curb for every uh, resident here in, in Burbank in single family homes. Uh, those are collected in the automatic trucks with the arms that pick up mm-hmm. the you know pick up the cart and dump it in the truck. So we're already getting a pre-sorted mix of you know packaging and paper and plastics and things like that. But what happens on the other end of that cart um, is just about everything that ever goes on in the neighborhood. You know, if if they're sitting out at the curb, someone might be walking their dog and they'll just lift the cover and throw the dog dew in. Um, the gardeners come along and they sweep up all the street trash and they may or may not dump it in the right bin. Generally, uh, our green waste is very contaminated with street litter and fast food wrappers from the gardeners and things like that. Um, and then there's the house cleanouts. They're the people that, you know, don't move, don't, don't understand the system for one reason or another. Maybe it's a language barrier. Maybe it's a, um, um, a different, for some reason, they don't understand uh, the language or the our materials. Um, and then there's people who really don't care, and they just kind of vote with you know vote the protest vote and throw whatever they want in the bin, and uh, you know we get all of it. So uh, there's heard, a lot of reasons for that. I've heard myth and legend about like other countries, like, you know, the enlightened Scandinavians, or or maybe even people up north. <laughs> Having mm-hmm. having much more rigorous rules about recycling and sorting, people being called to task for bad sorting habits and that sort of stuff. That's true, yeah. That other places Absolutely. are. Absolutely. 
And do you wish yeah. that that was the world we existed in? <laughs> well, I do. It'd make our job a whole lot easier and a lot more uh, and a lot safer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have workers exposed to all those things I mentioned. We've had a couple of people stuck with needles here, and they go through about mm-hmm. a six-month testing protocol. They don't know if they can be intimate mm-hmm. with their partners or their mm-hmm. family. Uh, they don't know if they're carrying something because it doesn't show up in blood tests, uh, you know, sometimes for weeks or months. And, um, yeah, other countries have really pushed on this. Parts of uh, Japan will have an entire year's calendar and all the different days that you would set something out on the curb. Um, might be small metals on one day, large metals on another. Um, certain types of plastic go out on, on certain days. And everyone follows those things. If you go through parts of Europe, um, there are containers set up for the neighbors and the neighborhoods. And so every few blocks, you'll see containers out on the sidewalks. And everyone who lives in apartments, for instance, will just walk their stuff out. And uh, they've got you know a number of different categories that they can uh, drop things into bins. Um, and uh, other countries also push the responsibility upstream. And uh, what I mean by that is through extended producer responsibility. If you manufacture it, if you uh, claim you know, copyrights and ownership and you own that brand, you will then uh, play a role in helping to retrieve that material. And here in the United States, producer responsibility is gaining some traction. It's, um, it's becoming more popular because there are so many problematic products that are easily, you know, easily consumed. We're all carrying, you know, cell phones in our pockets, and those, are, those contain batteries and electronics and fire retardants and heavy metals and um, a whole gamut of things. And the state of California has banned a lot of uh, materials, and with good intentions, and I, I completely agree with it. We don't want to leave legacies for other uh, generations. So we have to collect those things responsibly, uh, but a lot of people don't understand how that works. So w- we want the manufacturers involved in this, like like in other countries. Um, in Canada, for instance, there are producer responsibility programs for paints, for tires, for electronics, for paints, uh, or excuse me, for um, garden chemicals and uh, you know, all sorts of things that uh, are under, they have some government oversight, but the uh, the ma- manufacturers, the producers, actually run the programs, and uh, it works out quite well. So there's, it, there's like a, a rebate or something? You turn in your old phone or whatever, is that how it works directly to the company? Not necessarily, no. Uh, generally, there's not a rebate. You know, the incentive is you're doing the right thing, and I I, um, you know, we also kind of struggle with how to incentivize those things. If you have to put a fee on everything that comes back, it gets to be an awful lot of accounting work. Um, and people are used to that because they think of bottle bills. And California has a pretty strong bottle bill, but it's it's an extremely complicated piece of legislation, and uh, it's had its its problems, and it's uh, um, it's not. It, it it doesn't cover all beverage containers. So uh, it doesn't cover champagne and wine. It doesn't cover a lot of other you know containers for liquids. 
one other question I had was about the black bin. Now, I know a lot of municipalities will also extract stuff from, from the black bin. Without, in other words, the trash bin, the general trash bin. Do you do that as well? And We don't here in Burbank. Um, now, there's, there's a lot of caveats when I say we don't do that. Burbank has collection. It, the city actually runs the residential collection program. In that residential program, uh, we also service small businesses. These would be uh, businesses with just a few, co- you know, few employees, small storefronts, um, small offices, that kind of thing, where they don't generate a lot of waste. Uh, we also do a little bit of commercial uh, collection of waste and recycling from larger businesses with dumpsters rather than carts. Uh, but we do a very small percentage of that because the city rates are actually higher than most of the privates. Mm-hmm. Now, here in the city, we also have a lot of private contractors. We have about 30, 35 of them, and they do everything from big roll-offs for construction projects where they're breaking up cement and tearing down buildings and you know things like that to the uh, businesses that just have a dumpster, like uh, multifamily uh uh, buildings, for instance, we consider those commercial uh, enterprises. And um, so about half the waste in Burbank is collected by the city, and about half the commer- uh, half the waste, which is commercially generated, is collected by private contractors. So some of those private contractors now will take the trash all in one bin and the recycling all in one bin, you know, so it's just one single bin for trash and recycling. They take that to what they call a dirty material recovery facility, and they sort through it. And they have a high percentage of what we call residuals or just, you know, garbage. But it's, it's run almost on the same principles as, a, as a, what we'd call a clean MRF for just dry recyclables. So these dirty MRFs are even, you know, even dirtier than our place in the sense that now you've got grass, dog dew, baby diapers, uh, fish heads, you know, spaghetti dinners, uh, the refrigerator cleanouts, um, you know, all the wet, sloppy stuff, the floor mop heads, the, you know, um, everything that comes out of a, an apartment building, basically, or, or you know, residence or a uh, uh, office building where you'd have mostly dry paper materials. All of that goes together, it gets tumbled around, the paper gets messed up, it's all wet. Um, and so they get a small percentage of, the, of recyclables out of these dirty MRFs. And uh, as, a, you know, as a recycling advocate, I don't like to see these things very much because what we're doing is we're, we're sort of stealing everyone's opportunity to learn and engage and practice and... Uh, be a part of recycling activities. So we think that also depresses any critical thinking in um, at the point of purchase when people mm-hmm. are actually buying things. They don't think about it so much, uh, whether the package makes sense to recycle it or if it's going to become trash because everything goes in one bin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it turns off the critical thinking. And it's, a, it's an engineered approach as opposed to a cultural approach. And I like to think that we need to engage, you know, the hearts and minds of people and, you know, get them to make better choices rather than simply hand it to someone else and, and make it go away. 
And what's how do you, yeah, yeah, how do you what, do that? Yeah, what's it going to take? <laughs> I guess I'm asking you how you well, save you the know, world. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because um, uh, recycling has a, you know, all of these convenient takeaway um, protocols, all these highly engineered systems with trucks and fuels and schedules and so on. It enables waste. I don't. I don't care if it's uh, if it's garbage we're picking up or if it's recycling. When it is so easy and there's nothing involved in in terms of choices and and decision making, it really blinds people. So recycling does the same thing. It enables waste in in many ways. And uh, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to push that conversation uh, much harder. And in the last couple of years, we've launched a, a master recycling program, and we this gives us enough time to really open up the conversations and, and do some critical analysis of, of what these systems really are doing. Are we saving molecules and, and you know polymers and fibers and metals and you know glass? Absolutely, we are. But why aren't we pushing this to the thinking where we need to first reduce? reuse, repair, buy durables, um, and, and, and demand durables from manufacturers and, and be willing to pay the price for durables, then, you know, use recycling as sort of one of those last steps way down the line. So I'm, I'm really happy to say that um, this master recycling, these two classes of master recyclers that we've um, nursed along have have been phenomenal. There, I've been getting emails from some of them who are writing articles. Some have written books on simplicity. Uh, some have, have developed website platforms for cities to do a better job communicating with residents. Um, how to sort materials and how to identify different polymers, that sort of thing. Some of them are are really interested in the organic side, the you know the living, breathing world, and getting closer to that, and, and depending less on the engineered world. So this is you know this is one area that I'm really excited about because we've done so many pamphlets and so many flyers and so many little pieces on the website that that give this very cursory you know introduction to recycling and just trying to sort out things so they can be recycled, rather than critically look at you know, do we need a seven uh, a package with seven laminations of paper, plastic, and foil? Mm-hmm. You know, do we need these foil pouches around? You know, high fructose corn syrup. Uh, you know, drinks and you know. Uh, uh, I've had emails from the master recyclers. You know, about school programs and you know, aren't they really, you know, sort of turning their back to the you know, nutritional needs of kids with fast food programs and junk food industry, uh, uh, sports uh, support, you know, all those kinds of things. So it's really fun to see that. Um, It's really healthy to see that. And uh, we aren't just, you know, uh, putting them on automatic pilot, buying whatever they want, just throwing it in the right bin. That seems a little, you know, vacant to me. So these are people from your community, essentially, that that then... Yeah, Yeah. Uh uh-huh. And, and they come from all walks of life, all um, all age groups. Um, it's it's really fun. We've had we've had every, everything from uh, you know college age students to uh, seniors who have been retired for a number of years. And uh, it's it's a really nice cross pollination of of conversations and experiences. 
And it's, it's funny, the younger, uh, the younger folks are saying, why are you giving me a printed piece of paper? Give me a PDF. And, <laughs> you know, the older folks are going, well, I don't know how to open PDFs. <laughs> so it, I've got it's, a uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've got a question about plastic, just take it more yeah. basically. I'm always suspicious. Whenever I put a plastic item in the recycling bin, I think, are they actually going to do something with this? Does this have any value? Or are we just sort of telling ourselves a pleasant story when we say, oh, this this container is recyclable? Well, everything you've asked is true and more. Um, plastics are, are the most confusing thing that we handle here at the Recycle Center. The, the numbers one through seven are, are just indicators of the polymer family that those plastics are made from. Every manufacturer has different, uh, different recipes for the same type of plastic. Um, they're all formulated for different flexibility, for you know, opaque color, clarity, um, you know, moldability, size and shape, thickness. Um, there's, it's infinitely variable. So, you know, numbers one through six actually, um, refer to specific resins. And then number seven is the same as the joker in the deck of cards. (laughs) It can represent hundreds of different types of plastic, maybe thousands. And it also represents things like compostable plastics, things that are based from, you know, that come out of starch bases and, and, uh, um, you know, plant-based plastics um, that are supposed to break down. And then it, it also it includes all the industrial plastics, you know, the Delrins, nylons, the, the you know, the, the slippery surfaces and, you know, car bumpers and, you know, just all these things that you wouldn't have so much of in, in um, the packaging world, in the household world, but there's certainly in a lot of industrial applications and and even hardware that we'd have around the house. So plastics have this huge black hole of understandability and we have no simple way of describing it to people. And I'm not a chemist, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a polymer engineer, so I can't even describe most of these things to people. I, I only have a very cursory knowledge of it. But do people um, buy it as a bulk product? You know, they say, oh, this sweater was made with yeah, what, water what bottles. Or, you know, what happens, yeah, what well, happens me, to yeah. the plastic? Yeah, know? okay, so let me give you a few examples. Um, water bottles and soda bottles and uh, other bottles for juices and things, a lot of them are, have a number one on them. That stands for polyethyl terephthalate. And uh, it's, a, it's actually a polyester. And a lot of those bottles, when they're collected, we, first of all, at our recycle center, what we do is we separate those different plastics first by resin type. And we, we, only, take, we only separate two resin types here. One is um, high-density polyethylene. You'd find that in a milk jug or a, a laundry detergent jug. Um, and then the other type is, is number one or polyethyl terephthalate. That's um, PET. It, it's your water bottles and soda bottles. So those two plastics we separate, uh, you know, clear is generally the PET. And then HDPE will, will separate color and natural. And uh, those are the two main plastics that we deal with here. Other plastics we bail up as mixes. And that can be everything from um, the mat under your 
office desk. It can be a laundry basket. It might be a piece of rope. It it might be a, a margarine tub or a Cool Whip or, you know, one of those yogurt containers. A lot of those just get thrown into a mixed plastic bale. So let me go back to number one, the, the soda and water bottle uh, plastic, PET. Generally, that's made into fabric or carpeting. They don't generally go back to bottles because you have so many contamination issues once you've put this thing through um, you know, all these industrial dirty processes of sorting, and you don't know what people have put in those bottles. So you'll get tons and tons of bottles. We bail these things up. We put them into containers. We ship them uh, by truck to uh, Long Beach or San Pedro Harbor, one of the you know one of the shipping ports down there. They hop on a boat. Most of it goes to China. Some of it goes to Vietnam, Japan, uh, Taiwan. Uh, we're, you know, this is it's sold on world markets as commodities. It's it's uh, you know plastic resins, used plastic resins, and uh, you know those things command a few hundred dollars a ton usually for the plastics. Anywhere I I guess from two to five hundred per ton. Yeah. And they're sold in um, generally 20-ton packages, which is a big container full. Um, with plastics, it's a little lighter. It's probably between 15, 17 tons, something like that. So brokers around the world are buying and selling these containers full of used plastic, and they will sell it to manufacturers um, on the other side of the world. They, When they get the stuff, they have to break open the bales. They'll sort it one more time. I don't know if they do that primarily by, with humans. I would think they do because labor, you know, uh, a day's worth of labor there is worth about an hour's worth of labor here. Hmm. And I don't mean that culturally. I mean that in the, in the sense of dollars mm-hmm. or, you know, payments. Um, so it, there's a number of reasons that this stuff is being shipped offshore to get it recycled. First of all, shipping rates going uh, uh, we're sending things back that way on empty container rates. And mm-hmm. so for about $600, you can send 15 to 20 tons of material to China. This is to just Shanghai, so crazy. From, from Long Beach to China. It is amazing. <laughs> And um, if you ship it the opposite direction from China to the U.S., it's more like three or $4,000 for that same container. So the shipping is very inexpensive. Um, we spend about $100 to drive the truck from our shipping dock to the port. Um, and then the material inside, paper, for instance, is worth about 120 to $150 a ton. So they're taking and our paper, all- too? Yes, a lot of the paper goes overseas. Uh, the United States has not built a new paper mill from from what I understand in the last 20, 25 years, 30 years. So the paper goes and overseas to become paper, recycled paper, paper or mm-hmm. cardboard, maybe? Does car- yeah. paper become cardboard? Or? We send cardboard there too. Yeah, oh, they, use, uh, they use mixes to okay. make cardboard. And a lot of the cardboard that comes from that part of the world um, is made from secondary fiber. It's not made from new fiber. Mm. And it's, uh, it's lower quality cardboard. If you rip the boxes apart, for instance, the 
the paper fibers uh, are much shorter, and so they're they're not as strong. Hmm. You, it, it oftentimes has a different tone to it as well. Um, new cardboard has a darker brown uh, color to it. Um, recycled cardboard is more of a gold color, and it's usually softer when you squish it in your hands. It, it doesn't have the the strength. Um, but when these things get to China, it's it's hard to tell you exactly what happens then. Um, the material is being purchased um, as you know recycled plastic, basically, or fiber, or metals, or whatever it might be, and it has to go through a sorting and cleaning. Uh, plastics get first; they're flaked. They're they're basically run through a grinder and chipped into small pieces, maybe, you know, the size of guitar picks or smaller. And then they can, because they always have some contamination, they have different types of plastics mixed together in in some of these mixes. It is possible to float and sink different types of plastic in solutions. They probably use like a saline solution. And so they can separate some of this stuff um, that way, you know, fairly inexpensively. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm sure they use human beings first to try to sort it out um, as best they can before they start grinding it. Mm. Anything that's left over is always questionable. Um, you know, when they get those little bits and pieces that are just not, you know, up to up to snuff, I suspect a lot of that is used for fuel and it's probably ground up and mixed with coal and put in, you know, incinerators mm. and things wow. like that. What um, about clamshells? Okay, clamshells, uh, we're probably talking about... He's going ex- through all the horrifying materials. <laughs> well, they're, yeah, they're yeah, the yeah, things no, that no. bother me the most, you know? Like well, I these bought are real a, questions, a right? And- these are everyday questions. Are- and and, and uh, yeah, let me just say, you know, <laughs> that recycling is for the rich. We mm-hmm. have the luxury of, 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 you know, consuming all this waste and having, you know, these, quote, convenience, unquote, um, materials around us. Um, and these clamshells are made out of a number of different materials. You know, they can be made out of fiber, which is, which allows them to be composted. And the benefit of that is if they do get littered and, you know, thrown on the side of the street or dropped or, you know, end up in the in a river or the ocean, eventually they're going to break down. Um, you know, it's kind of food for the microbes. When you, you, you can also make plastics out of starches. And, you know, so we use corn and potatoes and, you know, sometimes we, we use uh, different plant uh, stalks like bagasse. So you can use a lot of things to make containers. Um, the things that we use most of though, are natural gas and oil. Mm. And that's where we get the expanded polystyrene known as styrofoam, you know, the trademark, the, tr- the trade name. Um, so those are oil-based and, and, and natural gas-based uh, plastics. And they polymerize this stuff. Uh, it's polystyrene, basically. Polystyrene might be the case of a television. It might be a you know, plastic toy or a telephone or you know, a, a case on a, a calculator or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but you can foam polystyrene so that you get expanded polystyrene. And uh, depending on its density and how well it sticks together, um, you know, it, is it recyclable? Yes. Is it expensive to recyclable? Extremely so. 
There are, are there places where it makes sense to recycle it? Yes, if you're a, a big pla- or if, if you're a big electronics retailer or manufacturer and you have a lot of these uh, a lot of parts shipped to you in polystyrene, um, you can get a densifier, you can squish it, you basically squeeze the gas out of it uh, and, and form a brick. And then these slugs can be stacked up on pallets and they can be shipped to a manufacturer to be reused. Mm. I, but I like, like the, the styrofoam idea. box that my pad thai came in is not so valuable yeah. or so no, <laughs> easy to deal horribly, with. No, <laughs> it's horribly inexpensive. I mean, the, look at it this way. The manufacturers have done everything they can to make the cheapest packaging material possible and to use the least amount of resin in it that they possibly can. So after you've eaten your Thai dinner and you've got, you know, the fish t- or the shrimp tails and, you know, the sauces and the greases kind of permeating in between those <laughs> bubbly cells and you can't get this stuff clean, then you throw it in a recycling bin and, you know, it weighs a matter of grams. You know, it's mm-hmm. you don't even have an ounce of material there. You're you're basically throwing grams or percentages of grams into a recycling bin. Then, you know, um, if we put a lot of hand labor in pulling that stuff out of the line, the expense can be as high as three or $4,000 a ton just to pull it off and, and bail it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the, the, the contamination in the food packaging or in these fast food packages is so high. You've got everything from tea bags and sugar packets and, um, you know, all the leftovers of the soups and, um, it's a mess. It's just an awful mess. And polystyrene, when it's foamed especially, is uh, it's very attractive to oil. And oil sticks to it. If you've ever tried cleaning, um, you know, plastics, mm. especially in cold dishwash- dishwater, you know that the oil just doesn't, it doesn't come off. It, it, it clings to those plastics. And there's an affinity there. I, don't, I can't describe it in, in scientific terms or chemical terms. But I do know that oils stick to plastics, Mm -hmm. and this is a big problem in the ocean, in waterways. Um, Plastics actually absorb a lot of hydrocarbons, and then when they break into the little micro particles, um, you know, those are are a normal ingestion of just about everything in the ocean and, and in rivers with, you know, high contamination rates. So all those animals are getting a higher percentage of contaminants than would be found in the water alone because those uh, those plastics are acting as you know almost like a sweeping compound. They're just sucking up all the hydrocarbons that might be floating around in the in the surface waters. Mm. So yeah, the, I know Wait, that a I'm lot sad of sad now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's um, it's serious stuff. It really is, you know. It, this isn't to be taken lightly, and, and uh, it, it's not a happy story. You know, we have to reduce our way out of this. We can't recycle our way out of these, you know, convenience packages. And, and just as, you know, we've overshot so many of our needs, and we're over-consuming on all these little plastic, you know, gigas. Um, the, this, the county of L.A. estimated um, that every, you know, Shoppers before these before they uh, banned carryout bags in the in the county and the city and number of you know there's 100 and 
30 some cities now in California or 130 local governments, I should say, but it's both counties and cities that have banned plastic bags. And they're banned all over the world too, by the way. Mm. I think Afghanistan, China, uh, there's a number of places that we wouldn't imagine or wouldn't think of in terms of banning plastic bags that have. But um, if, if the county's estimates are accurate, it's something like 400 and between four and 500 takeout bags are used by, you know, everyone in the county. That's what it turns out to be if you, you know, distribute all the bags consumed by the population number. But if you look inside those bags and you estimate the number of, of um, you know, food packages that are inside each of those bags, it's probably a number between 5 and 10. And so if each of us are consuming between four and 500 plastic bags, but in each of those bags we have between 5 and 10 other plastic packages, then the multipliers mm-hmm. become enormous. And, uh, you know, so every year we're using thousands, probably, you know, two to 5,000 little pieces of plastic every year per person. Just to have lunch out or dinner. Well, to have in. lunch out, but yeah. it's even, you know, I mean, if you think of all the little things that get wrapped in plastic, like little toothpicks and toothbrushes yeah. and, you know, socks and underwear and, I mean, just about everything. I really everything. hate those little flossers. You know those little single-use flosser thingies? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're see... very durable and they last for years. <laughs> I see them in the woods all the time. I, people take them to the forest camping, I guess, and, they, and I find them on the ground. I'm like, can yeah. you not just use a string? Why? Why this yeah. handle? Why, why, why? That's yeah. just a pet peeve. Well, lately there have been big <laughs> headlines, you know, in, on the East Coast with all the sewers being plugged up by, you know, these wipes that are made out of polyester. They don't break down in the sewer lines. And so the first thing that snags them, you know, it creates a clog and then the sewer backs up and you've flooded buildings and everything else. It's a huge problem. How has this affected your personal life? Because you see this every day. For me, you know, the effect wore off after the, unfortunately, after the Murph, and then I'm back at Costco again, right? I'm exaggerating a little bit, but. Oh, and I've become one of the most unbearable husbands ever. You can't can't take me into a shopping mall without me just growling and snapping and, you know, fuming at uh, at what I'm wandering through. And uh, I I have to say it's, uh, you know, if, if we, if we can't, wrangle our plastics consumption I, I it's uh, I, I don't know where to go with that actually and and we can actually I mean we we really can backtrack this and I can go back to my own life I remember the first time my mother bought a plastic dishwashing detergent bottle and I remember the ads on the TV you know you could drop this thing and it wouldn't break mm. then they figured out that if uh, they put a little snip top on it, it used to be you'd, un- you'd unscrew the cap, you'd pour a cap full into the dishwater or you know whatever it was and swish it around, you'd put the cap back on. Then they figured out if you put a little snip cap on it, people couldn't measure it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it became you know, a series of different flip caps and you know, bottle designs and everything else. But it was, um, I remember... Um, the first plastic bag I got, which was in the late 70s. <laughs> and I brought it home and everyone looked at it. We all had our little 
cloth bags that said save a tree on them. We were all trying to save paper bags. And then I came home with a plastic bag and uh, everyone, all of my roommates were saying, what is that? Where'd you get that? What is that made out of? And we were all feeling it and, you know, kind of touching it. And <laughs> it was, it was like the bottle that fell out of, you know, the gods must be crazy. And, um, so we, you know, I, I didn't feel like we were suffering in life at all without these things. And, uh, uh, so now it's a, it's a, it's a weekly challenge for my wife and I to see if, how many ways that we can do things without all the plastic packaging. And That's a hard challenge. Usually it comes down to the farmer's markets, bringing our own bags. Mm-hmm. If we do have some plastic bags, we reuse those. Um, we, you know, we, we just try to keep an eye on that. In spite of that, you know, if we, if we shop at, you know, any of the major stores for anything, we've got a pile of plastic in the house. If we have friends over, it seems like everything comes in through the door. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like we don't love our friends. We do. We're all in this together. Um, but it is constant vigilance, and it is really keeping a sharp eye out and being uh, um, willing to sort of, you know, speak that language as if it matters. And, and so that's the, I think that's the mantra and the, and, and the uh, kind of the, the daily pilgrimage that all of us have to explore is um, how do we go to, a, a, you know, how do we honor this great biological wonder that we're living in? Hmm. And how do we, um, you know, stay as close to that as we possibly can and uh, reduce as many of the industrial inputs that that we can. So um, I know that both of you are are great enthusiasts of of, uh, of following those paths, and uh, that's how we met through mm. you know through bicycling and uh, through some of those things. Well, you walk the walk better than I do. I'm always slipping up and ending up somehow in a Costco or something. And well, I felt like it's, it's, become but, yeah. like, it's become like sin. Like, you know, no longer do we have, like, you know, sexual sin. You know, now but now I, I feel like... <laughs> where are you going with this? Well, I, I got to be careful where I'm going here. But, no, really, I feel like, you know, like you read, like, the old saints, you know, talking about their temptations and how they fell to temptation today and they had bad thoughts. And, and I feel like that about waste. I feel like, you know, I'm trying to walk a narrow path. And I fail truly, constantly. Truly, you know, and I fail. Well, and fail. and, and uh, I'll, I'll give you a little leeway here because we're all living in the same slipstream and the white noise of uh, of advertising, and uh, it's really tough to take another orbit. It's um, we are so saturated and so imbued with this, um, and to live, you know, to live an average life now, we have cell phones, we have laptops, we have you know, all the connections coming to our homes. We have satellites flying around that are, you know, and and cell towers everywhere. Um, And that has happened so quickly. We have a rate of change that is moving so quickly that our livelihoods depend on it. Um, You know, if we are going to be a part of the, of this civilization, um, if we're, you know, we almost can't, shun all of this you know mm-hmm. i mean right now we're talking on we're talking on phones right. we're using recording exactly. equipment we're part, of the, we're part of networks that are running 24 hours a day so we can keep signals moving and it's an absolute you know technological miracle 
But from my end of the equation, looking up this tailpipe of consumption, I'm cleaning all that up too. And it's a tsunami of electronics. It's a tsunami of packaging. It's it's a hurricane of, you know, little tiny bits and pieces of stuff that are just cascading off of the, you know, this consumer whirlwind. And uh, it's it, it's uh, it's sobering. One of the and Eric is you know you were describing your trip over here, and uh, one of the best teaching tools that we have is just putting a group of people and standing them next to a pile of waste that's 100 to 200 tons in size. And um, since we don't have a visual here, I'll just let people know that that's about the equivalent of a, about a four-bedroom uh, four large house, uh, mm. about 100 tons, that is. And that's about the amount of waste that one American will produce in their lifetime and uh so you know it's almost like the the size of the house that you live in is probably about the amount of waste that you're going to generate as a human being and that's just the end of the line if you go into the manufacturing waste and the uh you know the mining extraction the all of the transportation and the um you know the retailing the insuring all the brokering and you know all the all the things that change hands to get something into your house all of those things upstream might generate 70 times more than an individual would produce uh, coming out of their household so um, there are huge multipliers that we never see you know um, we don't see those those big pits of mine tailings and, you know, the coal slurry and um, all those things. Um, but it's, you know, we're, we're all feeding at the same, you know, at the same place. Mm. Well, I know we have to let you go, Craig. I really want to thank you for this time. We didn't even get to talk about organic matter. So that's a whole other... <laughs> I know Maybe you, we'll have to have Craig back on. You have to have on. back on. I know you have really interesting ideas about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, I would love to talk about that. That's, uh, that's dear to my heart, and it's one of the places where we can all take uh, a big step um, in doing better. And, uh, you know, w- once we start combining our, our thinking to uh, lands, you know, the organics that we would normally truck away from our landscapes, if we can get those on the ground and then we can contour that ground to hold water and use our roofs as the headwaters and our downspouts as the waterfalls and then the oasis lies below it, now we can start talking about landscapes that really are regenerative and how we can live in dry, dry lands without these huge um, industrial inputs of water projects and, you know, yeah. uh, pumps and power. So That's I would love to, to talk too. to you about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that right. right. There's right. an excuse to talk again. Thank you so much, Craig. Yeah, thank Appreciate you, Craig. it. Thank you both. All right. Yeah. All, All right. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Craig Hample, Recycling Coordinator for the City of Burbank. If you want to have an impact on your local community, I can't say enough good things about organizing a tour of your local municipal waste or sewage facility. It's guaranteed to leave a lasting impression, and city officials are usually really happy to facilitate such tours because ultimately it makes their job easier. 
if people consume less and do a better job of separating all those recyclables. To leave a comment for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also available on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 